Good morning, and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is a Satoshi Saturday, and it is Saturday, March 4th, 8.38 a.m. Griff, how are you doing, my guy? Grinding through another week. We're like, uh, what is this, week four of recovery from knee surgery, so we're grinding through it. We're walking now and standing and all kinds of things, so... You know, I feel like I've been reborn, Nick, so to speak. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. We uh, This was an interesting week. You know, typically, Griff, you and I talk a couple of times throughout the week. Um, and I called you a couple of times. You called me a couple of times. And we never got to connect. Um, so I'm excited to kind of jump into to some topics today and, and talk a little bit about, man, something that we both enjoy. That's Bitcoin. Before we even go into the topics, it's amazing how... Bitcoiners are also uh, like time travelers or future predictors because like so many things that are happening right now, everybody's been saying they're going to happen. And I'm not going to say that's made it boring for me, but it's just that I've seen it now happen so many times where Bitcoiners are like, well, this is probably going to happen. And then then this is probably going to happen. And then when you think it's going to go up, then some more stuff happens. And then like some more stuff happens. And then, then when you least expect it, boop, then it goes up. You just reminded me of something, and I just actually started reading 21 Lessons, What I've Learned from Falling Down the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole. And this was written by, it's at Gigi on Twitter. Go check him out. He does a really good job of writing, and, and this book specifically is a little bit more of an overview. He doesn't get into like all the specifics. This is uh, the very end of chapter 10 or lesson number 10. <laughs> Bitcoin is all of the above. It is extreme blushing. He says, it is extremely rare, there's 21 million Bitcoin, increasingly hard to produce because of the reward having, right, the the Bitcoin subsidy having. It can't be replaced. And then he says, a lost private key is lost forever and enables us to do some quite useful things. But yeah, I think think your thought is, is true. I mean, it's like, hey, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna look into the future and try to think about what potential issues I may face and I'm using and I'm, and I'm looking into the future with the lens of these fundamental principles that we believe to be true, that we believe should be true of money, right? Money should be scarce. Money should be a a fixed supply. Um, It should be an immutable ledger. You know, some central authority shouldn't be able to just take your money and, and, uh, and, and nothing can be done about it. You know, that, that should be wrong. And so, Whenever you start looking out into, oh, well, looks like those guys are starting to move away from those principles. Well, then you're probably going to run into issues. Anybody who is in crypto is trying to steal your money. I don't know how else to put it. But if you believe in Bitcoin, you just got to keep on churning, keep on wheeling and not really caring and learn how to self-custody and you know, one piece of news that I was going to start off with is they're definitely trying to legislate against Bitcoin over the next, uh, or at least that's 22 states, I think, have like loose proposals to like kind of grease the wheels for CBDCs and then stop, quote unquote, online digital asset, tr- something like that, which you can't do. Like, that's kind of the thing about Bitcoin. You can't stop. You can't stop it. But I did read um, uh, a little bit about what you're talking about. I think it was Dennis Porter that posted a lot of those posts that he had a couple of uh, he had a couple of photos in there and I think a video with the guy talking and and they were saying that that uh, something cannot be a money 
if it existed prior to the government or central authority deeming it as money. Yeah, it was that's so what funny. they said. And you're like, so what about what about gold? Like, so this this applies now, but it didn't apply then. So how can you know you know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. this doesn't. So then it, it's it's truly it's truly creating a central authority on who decides what is money. And the funniest part is, you know, money is a network, right? And if if you are in an area uh, that has a bad money, well, you're naturally going to want to find a better money to store your value, to transact in, all of these things, right? Whatever the most liquid saleable good in the market is, is gonna be a good medium of exchange. And if that can also double as a really good store of value, well, then money is naturally or value is naturally going to flow to that money because it's the best money. The balls it's going to take to hold one Bitcoin for the next 80 years, I think will be pretty crazy. I think if you end up like in 100 years, somehow you're the one person who was like, all this stuff doesn't matter. I'm just going to hold this bad boy forever. I like I just don't care. That thing will be so valuable because I think the network is going to grow. That's what Nick and I talk about all the time. Big B and little B. The network is growing so fast, so stinking. The Bitcoin network is growing so fast. It's going to be interesting to see how Bitcoin, the network, and Bitcoin, the commodity, turn into money. I mean, I'd love for the world to just go back to being able to save. Investing is hard. It's way too, I mean, at this point, if we found out anything was, if you ever lower interest rates to like 0% or 2%, there's going to be some malinvestment out there. There's going to be some people getting a lot of money building products that nobody wants. Bitcoin's network will prove itself. I mean, I think Bitcoin's network will become a store of value, will become, I think it'll become a unit of account faster than people think. And the SEC's coming for these bad boys, Nick. I, I did notice that. I, I'm is, not, yeah. Are we regulation people? Do we root for that? Like, it's really hard for me to want to root for it, but I'm just like, it is what it is. Well, I mean, I think the regulation is interesting because, uh, because just like you're saying, dude, like Bitcoin is decentralized. It is a commodity. It is property. So, hey, bring on the regulation. Come on. Bring it on. Bring it on. You, you can't stop it. What are you going to do? Like, how do you actually regulate Bitcoin? What are they going to do? They can't control it. Nobody controls Bitcoin. What are you going to do? How do you regulate something that is independent of everything else? You just can't. But I think what's interesting is in, right now we think about, you know, we're living in a fiat world. And we're on a podcast here on a Saturday morning talking about a decentralized, independent of everything else money, a permissionless network that allows people to store value without, uh, without trusted third parties. And I think it's interesting because in this time, there's a lot of crossover and, and mixing and mingling of these different principles, right? And uh, the topic I'm thinking about here today is specifically is the Silvergate bank, bank deal. But here's just a couple of pieces that I found whenever I was looking around getting ready for, for this morning was that, you know, Silvergate is not a liquidity partner. You know, there's a lot of uh, who is the, the prime trust. Prime trust was a is a huge liquidity partner, was a huge liquidity partner for a lot of crypto exchanges. Whenever the liquidity goes, you know, so these exchanges, I guess, the, these exchanges, they've got, you know, let's say it's just dollars. Let's say it's American based. It's, it's dollars. They've got to have dollars and they've got to have the crypto asset that they want or that they want to offer and sell. Right. So they have to be able to they have to be able to sell the crypto uh, asset to the person that wants to buy it. And they also have to give 
dollars to the person that wants to sell their crypto asset. They have to have liquidity in order to do that. So it's important to note that Silvergate, the Silvergate Bank is not a liquidity partner. It is an on off ramp for dollars. It's a dollar on off ramp. What are the inner workings of that? I'm not 100% sure. One piece that I thought was crazy that I found uh, in an article was that at the time of FTX's collapse, 90% of Silvergate's bank deposits came from crypto companies. Now, we're, we're, we're using the word crypto here. They use the word crypto. This, this is not Bitcoin. We're talking about the shitcoin casino. We're talking about uh, fraudulent uh, fraudulent companies that are stealing value from people, uh, selling you know a false uh, false reality, selling a, a, a bad bag of goods. But ninety percent of this bank's deposits were from crypto companies, and uh, so so I guess what happened was, as they were filing uh, some of their filings with the SEC, they they had reported they had uh, they had sent in a preliminary like, hey, this is where we think we're going to be. And it's like a ton of losses because, as you can imagine, over this past you know uh, year, year and a half, whatever it's been, from that from that sixty nine thousand dollar high, all of these crypto companies have lost tons and tons and tons and tons of value. Now, the bad news for the crypto companies is that there actually never was any value. You know, it was all bullshit from the beginning. Then uh, going in to submit their official filings, not their preliminary filings, but their official filings. They had to say, hey, we're, we're not going to be able to submit on time because we've actually lost a shitload more than we thought. And here's what's wild. From Wednesday night to Thursday morning, this bank's uh, public, like publicly traded stock mm-hmm. dropped over 40%. Could you imagine that? 40%. And this is not now, – now, keep in mind, this is, a, this is a bank. This is a real bank. This is not a crypto company. This is a real bank. 40% one day, bang, gone. I think at this point, the writing is on the wall for these guys. Doesn't seem like, I mean, I don't know how you do that and just come back from that. I don't I don't think that they're going to come back from that. But, oh, dude, what a deal. What do you think, Chris? I think I doubt that big institutions want plebs to be able to buy it and hold it and secure it. You can't stop Bitcoin. It is better than everything else for your business. You, li- I mean, it's cheaper, it's instant, it's free, it's uh, frictionless. It's just a better use of money. So I don't doubt that institutions will want to use Bitcoin. I just doubt that they want Nick and I and you to hold Bitcoin. Because if we hold Bitcoin, then we have as much power as the institutions. Me and Nick talk about this all time, all the time. Bitcoin is here to root out the inefficiencies in the world. If you truly believe in Bitcoin, you believe that this is going to be the money in the next fifty years. Not because we really, not because we're ready for it, but because this is just how money works. Is how things get picked. The state has a plan to try to control you until they can't control you anymore or they lose. And I think they're going to lose. And I think and I think our job is to try to, like, build on the Bitcoin network and help it out. And I don't know, like, see where this thing goes. But uh, I think anything Silvergate is going to go to zero. I think anything that tries to compete with Bitcoin will go to zero because there's just no use for it. And this is another thought that I that I pulled from uh, 21 Lessons there by Gigi. But 
he, he says in there at one point, for most people, money works just fine. Yeah. And because of that, they don't really care what's going on underneath, right? Uh, but you and I, that are thinking a little bit more critically about what's actually going on. It, that's that's when we're forced to look into the inner workings uh, is when we start realizing that things are breaking down. Things is things aren't working as as they are supposed to. Right. There's some there's some questions that there's not really good answers to as, as to why. Right. Um, and, you know, many people in the world would argue that things are just fine, but but they actually aren't. So what's actually happening inside and, and want to go a little bit into the topic of the central authority, the Federal Reserve, and how they control the monetary supply and the cost of money. And I think it's extremely important to note that they exclusively have the power to do this. Nobody else can do this. You and I can't just create some dollars and do this and do that. No, no, you, you can't. You can't just go like you can't just go like file some deal and create real money. You can't create dollars. Now you can go start a bank and you can create credit. Right. But those aren't that's not money. Credit is not money. Uh, now, debt right now, you could argue, is money. Right. In that treasuries are the base layer of this current system. But let's just think about the monetary supply here real quick. This can increase and decrease, impacting the, the purchasing power of your money. Right. As the monetary supply increases, your your, your purchasing power decreases. And as the monetary supply decreases, your purchasing power increases. Now, historically, we've seen uh, we've seen decreases in the, in the money supply. We're actually in a position right now where we we went way up in the uh, in the monetary supply within the past couple of years, and the money the monetary supply has actually decreased here within the past. I think you know three six months or whatever it's been. Uh, but uh, that those decreases are far outweighed by massive massive Whoa. in monetary supply. We basically already live in a Web3 world where the Fed is one, is ETH or whatever the hell you want to call it. And there's a whole bunch of different banks and institutions that surround the Fed and they're all the shit coins. And people live in their little monetary networks supported by their shit coins. And the Fed is the one that kind of oversees them all. And if you don't, you know, if your little shit coin is, you know, uh, the person at the top was shady. You'll go to zero. So the bold statement at the end of this monetary supply piece is that they, the Federal Reserve and the federal government operating together, are stealing your purchasing power. They're stealing your value. They're stealing the time and labor that you spent in the market creating value to earn this money due to their own fiscal irresponsibility. The, the federal government and the Federal Reserve, they don't balance their budgets the same way you and I do. We make money and we can't spend more money than what we have unless, you know, we can go get some credit cards, right? But they, they don't do that, right? They don't go get a credit card. They just create more money. They issue bonds and the Federal Reserve is the number one demand buyer of bonds. Th these two entities are working in collusion to create more money, which destroys the value. So, they are stealing. They are stealing your money due to their own fiscal irresponsibility. So that's a that's a thought there in monetary supply. This is a part of the broken system. Now, the next piece is the cost of money. The cost of money is referred to generally as interest rates. Interest rates are uh, representative of how much it costs to borrow money. 
And this starts at the central bank level and then trickles all the way down through the banking system to the individuals. Anytime that you're borrowing money, this is at play. And let me ask a question here. Griff, how do you borrow something that doesn't exist? If I said, hey, Griff, can I borrow your, uh, your, your Maserati car for the weekend? If you don't have a Maserati, how can I actually borrow your car? This is actually what is happening. Banks don't have the money. Banks don't have the money. You know, back in, uh, I think it was 2020, the CARES Act, they removed the 10% uh, reserve requirement. There is zero reserve requirement for banks now. Zero reserve requirements. Think about that. You deposit money to the bank and they are going to hold on to it for you. No, 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 no. Actually, sorry. Sorry. I got that wrong. They don't. They take that money and they lend it out as many times as they want. How crazy is that? This is what's happening every day in the open market for money. Uh, What would the inflation rate truly be if we went based on the way like local banks just lend out money? Oh, dude, it's it's ridiculous. This so this is where I was going next, right? It's like, hey, if you're bar- you borrowed money to buy your home, we just did this, right? We got a thirty year fixed rate mortgage to buy our home. We're borrowing, we're borrowing money that doesn't exist. We're borrowing credit from the bank. How crazy yeah. is that? And now this is this is where I want to go next with this is that the cost of money, uh, it, it distorts the demand and therefore capital allocation, right? We did not have liquid cash to buy our home. But we were able to borrow something that doesn't exist to buy our home. That created a truly artificial demand in the housing market. This happens all day, every day. If you're borrowing money from the bank, you are borrowing credit and you are distorting what is actually real in the market. Another question for you, how much money do you need to make on an investment to break even if your money costs 1%? Well, you, you got to make 1%. You got to make 1% on your investment uh, to break even, right? Well, what if your money costs you 8%, you know, uh, a year and a half later, like what we've seen, right? There, were, there was a time back in uh, early 21 when you could buy a home uh, at a 30, with a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at like 1%, bro, even less than 1%. Now, here's, here's what my thought is, is, was that investment in early 2021 at 1% a good investment yeah. or was the money just cheap? Right. And then also how does that impact our perception of what good capital allocation is? You know, Griff, if you, if you had uh, our purchase price on our home was $180,000. If you had $180,000 liquid cash, would you lend that to me for 5.12%? Because that's the interest rate that we locked in. Who in the hell? Who in the hell would part with that that amount of money? Real. I'm talking real money. You went out and earned real money. No. If you've saved it cash, why would you part with that harder money for five percent? So my question here is, how does this actually impact our perception of what the real demand in the market is? Or you know, call it homes or uh, investment properties or whatever, whatever you're thinking about, right? Whatever the demand is, um, you know, think about, I see this all the time in my industry. I work in construction. The, the cost of money right now is tightening everything, right? All, all of these investment, uh, all of these investment deals that developers are doing, um, we're working on a laundry right now. Uh, and if, if 
the budget is over X amount of dollars, well, then it doesn't make sense for the investor to to build out this uh, this old gas station into a laundromat because right. he can't make enough money to service the cost of that money. So then is that is that a good investment? How do we know if that's a good investment if if the if the bar changes, right? We're trying to measure things with a with a rubber band. There's no static uh, there's no static value of of what is real. So yeah, that would- like how does this affect capital allocation? It's so bad. It's so distorted. I know for a fact that if you made seventy five thousand dollars two year two years ago, if you made seventy five thousand dollars a year, you had as much pur- purchasing power in the real estate market as somebody who makes one hundred and twenty thousand dollars today. Something has to give. I wanted to leave this podcast with this. The Bitcoiners seem right, and I fe- and like my feeling at this point is they just can't keep doing this forever. They can't keep doing it forever. I don't think the game is over officially. I don't think the United States dollar is done. I don't think that uh, the United States is done. I don't think commerce or nation states and everything like my, my fantasy utopia world is here yet. But I think that it's not doing very well. I think that there's a lot of smoke screens. I think there's a lot of shit on top. And I think we got to find out what's really working and then go from there and rebuild probably as a country as well. I'd love to be more patriotic, but we're just acting like a bunch of fools, in my opinion. And it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. I just know with Bitcoin that there's a block produced every 10 minutes and there's not much for me to hate there. There's not much for me. to. It's an apolitical thing. So there's not much for me to get mad about with Bitcoin. And I wish people understood that. I'm just buying Bitcoin because I'm like, hey, man, listen, like I just do that. I don't think the way that you guys are doing things is going to work out for my like my lifetime. Like, I just don't. I don't think that we're going to go another 50 years I just don't see how that's going to work over the long term. I just don't. If money gets shitty, the world gets shitty. I love people. But when money gets shitty, the world gets shitty. Sorry about it. I know for a fact money is very shitty right now, which means I think that there's a whole bunch of just nonsense going on. And I don't blame the I don't blame the people. I'm just saying, like, that's what happens when money gets crazy. Oh man, the world is full of bad ideas. And I'm not saying I'm the one with the good ideas. You know, let's do let's get a little audit going. We need to get a little audit going of this whole situation. We need, we need to figure we need to figure this thing out. All right, guys. Some of us kind of think that like it's being run by like, I don't know, some lizard group in the in the back, you know, maybe it's Israel, like who really knows who's running what? Like, we're freaking out a little bit. <laughs> For a good reason, because this money's so shitty. If I can't even use the public services I pay taxes for because I can't trust them, becomes a problem. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I think the Bitcoin network will be stronger, but you know, that's just my take. Obviously, a lot of people. Good thoughts, Griff. Hey, if you guys are not watching us right now, we've got video on Spotify and on YouTube. Come check us out. We like to hang out. and you might notice that I'm wearing a Satoshi Saturday shirt that matches our Satoshi Saturdays logo up here. Come get the gear at the Satoshi shop. Link's down in the description. Come see us on Twitter as well. We like to post our clips there from our podcasts. Um, come see the short clips. Um, we like to interact with people there. Come hit us on Twitter. It's at Nick and Griff Show. Man, Satoshi Saturdays are always a good time. I'll see you next week, Griff. Peace. Oh, 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 oh